What's going on, guys? In this podcast, I'm going to discuss a bunch of the different free agent signings and re-signings and things like that that have been going on today. We've had a very busy day. I went to sleep. I go to sleep pretty early because I wake up extremely early, but I went to sleep, woke up, and a bunch of stuff had happened. So that's pretty exciting. Um, the Chargers re-signed the cornerback Michael Davis, a 6'2", 200-pound former undrafted free agent that they have that's been playing really good football there. If you guys recall, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, I, I did a post on him maybe a week or two ago, just basically calling him one of the more underrated cornerbacks in this free agent class. So good on the Chargers to re-sign him, especially since they released Casey Hayward. I think that was a big, you know, important step for them to, to kind of remain at least somewhat intact on the defensive side of the ball. For the Buccaneers, they were able to re-sign Rob Gronkowski, one-year, $10 million deal. And I just saw this. Apparently, Gronk had considered a lesser offer from the Buffalo Bills. So take that. He's from Buffalo, so maybe so. But I, I just don't – I think – I thought that the whole Gronk returning was a foregone conclusion to Tampa. But um, we'll see. I mean, I guess it's already done deal. But that was – you know, I wonder if we'll hear any more about that because to me that would be crazy if he was actually considering it. Um, New Orleans resigns Jameis Winston for a deal that basically I think his 2021 cap charge will be around $2 million. I think it was $2.1 million. But the deal can get up to $12 million if he's able to beat out Taysom Hill and be the starter. And then who I don't know exactly what the other incentives are right now, but there are other incentives. The Denver Broncos re-signed Shelby Harris to a three-year um, $27 million deal. So that's a nice signing for them to bring back their own guy that they know can play in their system in the role that he's been assigned uh, the Rams were able to re-sign Leonard, for, Leonard Floyd, four years, $64 million deal. And I know a lot of people are looking at that because of what we've seen so far in this free agency class. And they're thinking, hey, that's a ton of money for that guy. It's more than he's worth. But when you really, guys, when you look at the the overall market for edge rushers, that's not a crazy deal. Like I'm trying to pull it up right now as we're, as we're talking here. I, I will get it pulled up. But it's not a huge country. Like, for example... That would make him at $16 million a year, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL. And that may seem high to you, but when the fact that he just signed this deal to, you know, what, today or yesterday, and these other guys have a deal that's a year, two years, three years old, that's, you know, the guys that are ahead of him, that right there. Some, I mean, look, for example, the Chiefs have Frank Clark right now under a deal that's paying him $20.8 million per season. You know, Demarcus Lawrence, $21 million per season. Um, you know, Trey Flowers, $18 million a year in Detroit there. So when you really look at some of the other names and the amounts of money per season that they are, uh, are being paid, you, you really see that that's not all that bad of a value. So um, the 49ers were able to re-sign Jason Verrett for a one-year, quote-unquote, up to $5.5 million deal. That is totally a good value. I think we can all agree that, you know, Verrett, if he can stay healthy, he's going to outplay that significantly. So big for them. And they also re-signed Emmanuel Mosley, a guy that, um, you know, is, is going to be their other starting cornerback. So they're, they're starting corners now, Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley, at least those two guys, are coming in at pretty damn cheap, five six million dollars a year. So those are legitimate um, good signings. The Baltimore Ravens also re-signed. I was going to get to him later. I just wrote him down. 
They just re-signed Tyus Bowser to a four-year, $22 million deal with um, $12 million guaranteed. So that seems like an awfully reasonable deal for Tyus Bowser um, and all that he can do. And then we didn't talk. So this is where we left off in terms of like what I didn't talk about yesterday, what happened since yesterday's podcast in terms of free agent signings. Joe Thune signs a five-year, $80 million deal with the Chiefs. It's like we see in all these bargains, right? And then you see this one, and it's like, whoa. You know, Joe Thune is a very good, you know, I mean, you can, I'm not sure. You can call him great if you want to. He's a great player, right? And um, that is, you know, I just, it's just weird in this offseason. Any other offseason, I'd be totally, you know, unfazed by it. But in this offseason where everybody's taking less, that strikes me as a very rich deal. But when you look around at the guard market, at the elite guard market, there are not many Joe Thunes run, running around right now. So that's just like we said about um, somebody yesterday. I can't remember who it was. Oh, it was um, Johnny Smith yesterday. So the Browns signed, and this was like I think right after yesterday's podcast, John Johnson, the safety to a three-year $33.75 million contract. So that's good for Cleveland, I guess. Um, he's a good player. It, it just, to me, it's interesting because he is their third safety. Now, obviously, he's their best safety right off the bat. So it's it'll be interesting to watch what develops in terms of their other, um, in terms of how their other guys are using Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit coming off the injury. So I like the signing a lot, though, for them. The Chargers signed Corey Lindsley, best center in football. He's been the best center in football for multiple years, and I love this signing. Like, you know, I'm not typically going to love signings where you're paying, you know, elite amounts of money in terms of like just paying that elite player that elite amount of money because I think they're risky deals. But Corey Lindsley is about as steady as a hand as you can get, you know, in terms of a interior offensive lineman and a center, no less for your young quarterback. I think that's really important to take some of the, you know, uh, don't worry about the protections, Herbert. Lindsley's got it. You know, it's it's going to be something like that right there for, for the Chargers. And then when you compare his deal to the deal of Joe Thune, and I know he's the highest paid center now in the NFL, but when you compare his five-year $62.5 million contract to the contract of Joe Thune at five years $80 million, I mean, you can't help, in my opinion, but to love that deal for for the Chargers. So I also like that the Chargers again address the offensive line and they signed Matt Filer, former Steeler, to a three-year $21 million deal. Now this guy is someone that I looked at and, and said in my free agency breakdown or preview, whatever you want to call it, on the offensive side of the ball, um, this guy can play guard and tackle. And I talked about him as being a potential really good value. And I think that's exactly what he is at three years, 21 million. I think, you know, he's going to be a starter right away and he's going to be good. And for them to get that for $7 million a year on average is something I'm very happy with from the Chargers. So you have now have two legitimate starters along the offensive line and you're, and you're doing it at a pretty decent value. Again, five years, 62 million. What's that? 12 million a year, roughly. And then for um, this guy, $7 million, So that's not bad at all for two proven starters on the offensive line. And then you've got the New England Patriots. So let's take a look at where we left off, what I didn't talk about um, on yesterday's podcast because it happened right afterwards. That was the Jalen Mills signing. Guys, Jalen Mills, if you play him at corner, his contract being a four-year, $24 million contract, right? If you play him at corner, that makes him the 26th highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Very reasonable. If you play him at safety, that means he's the 24th highest paid safety in the NFL. 
Oh, by the way, Jalen Mills last year, when targeted, allowed a 57.6 completion percentage, 6.6 yards a target, two touchdowns, one pick. That's a quarterback rating allowed of 82. Very good number. So he is the perfect um, example of a low-risk, high-upside guy. I guarantee you this. The contract is going to be structured in a way where if he comes out and he just stinks next year, they can release him. It's going to be structured in that kind of a way, right? He's going to have to kind of um, earn his spot as he goes. I have a feeling that this kid, I've always liked him more than most consensus liked him. And I think that he's going to be a really good player in New England. I think he's going to be your your classic McCourty or, you know, just one of those kind of guys that goes to New England and everything just works. It just seems to be that way, especially for veteran defensive backs. Belichick is awesome in that regard. So I like the signing a lot. Again, you're paying him $6 million a year. He's going to come in and be a day one starter for you. I like it. So now we look at they also signed Nelson Aguilar after, after yesterday's podcast. Two years, $26 million deal. 13 million average has some people up in arms, but Nelson Aguilar and is a guy that first of all, I thought he played really well last year for the Raiders. Second of all, he's a former first round pick, you know, had a very good year in Philadelphia. And the most important thing guys is remember yesterday, right before I actually went to sleep, I tweeted out and posted on Instagram story. The two year deals are glorified ones and the threes are glorified twos in most part. Maybe even the threes could a lot of times even be glorified one year deals. In this case, it's definitely going to be a glorified one. It, it, it just is. You know, you're not going to see Nelson Aguilar carry a huge dead money hit if they cut him after this season. You're just not. So um, I like that a lot. And again, they need look, what are they doing? They are obviously getting bigger. Trent Brown. Cam Newton, you know, they're obviously going to emphasize the run game. They're obviously on the, as in terms of the receiver, what do they want? They want guys that are willing to block Kendrick Bourne and uh, Nelson Aguilar, and they want guys that can separate. And then in Nelson Aguilar's case, a guy that can get deep down the football field. They didn't have that guy that could take, that could stretch the field. You always hear that term um, in terms of like a, a speed guy on the offense side of the ball. That's what Nelson Aguilar can do for you. Kendrick Bourne, the other guy they signed, three-year, $22.5 million, is that's a glorified one or maybe even a glorified two-year deal. Again, a young guy, so it's low risk, high upside, a guy that is exactly what you need in, from the standpoint of just how you build a receiving core, right? You've got the two stud tight ends. I haven't even talked about Hunter Henry yet, but you've got two stud tight ends. And I see a lot of people hating on Twitter like, oh, they're not, you know, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. Dude, they don't have to be. That was one of the most dynamic. I think it only lasted for a year or two, but it was one of the most dynamic tight end duos in terms of just on-field football performance. I'm not getting any other stuff, but that duo was awesome, right? This duo, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, is a very nice contrast in skill sets, right? You've got Johnny Smith, more athletic, more explosive guy. You've got Hunter Henry, the more of a possession receiver. You know, the guy you're going to get to on third and three, he's going to get open real quick for you. You know, that that is a very nice – I like the way they're building the team. I really do. I like the way that all these skill sets contrast, and, uh, you know, and kind of blend together nicely. And I think that it, it works out. They also signed the Patriots again. Henry Henry Anderson to a two-year $7 million deal. Another guy that I view as low risk, potentially high upside, because when you've seen just in, in passing, I guess you could say, moments of Henry Anderson's best, you see like, whoa, like he looks pretty damn dominant at times, right? So for him, 
um, you know, to go to New England, he just seems like one of those guys that that it would not surprise me if he has a 10 sack season next year with the Patriots. And if he became if he becomes that kind of Patriots player that retires there, you know, in in seven or eight year, whatever it is, and um, just wouldn't shock me at all. So so far, oh, let me let me also say Hunter Henry, of course, three years, thirty seven point five million, twenty five quote unquote guaranteed. We'll see. Um, but look, man, they've added Hunter Henry, um, Anderson, Henry Anderson, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Matt Judon, Jalen Mills, Devon Gotchow, Janu Smith, and then they've re-signed Dietrich Wise, Carl Davis, Cam Newton, and then, oh, also added Trent Brown, and then hopefully, for their sake, they will also re-sign David Andrews, and man, and they've re-signed Justin Bethel. So it's like they have a ton of of new players and they're also getting their opt-outs back. And I also don't necessarily think that they're done. Right. So, um, Oh, neither, by the way, breaking news that I'm not going to, I want to make sure I mention this. The Bengals have signed Mike Hilton. So the, the nickel corner from Pittsburgh, I like that a lot. And the Raiders are releasing Rodney Hudson. Ian Rappaport just tweeted this stuff out two minutes ago. So that's, uh, you know, just something to consider there, I guess. And okay, so let's move on. Raiders sign Yannick Ngakwe to a two-year, $26 million deal. Talk about, I guess you could say moderate risk because it's not a low risk when you're given $13 million a year, but it's definitely a high upside move. Like this guy could come in and he could be a 15-sack guy. No one would be completely shocked if Yannick Ngakwe came out and had 15 sacks this year for the Raiders. It just, you know, nobody would. And oh, by the way, when you talk about if you want to talk about value, let's not look about, let's not compare him to, you know, guys from this particular free agency class. Let's talk about him in the sense that he would be, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I can count this right now. He would be the, let's just say, it's about 22nd, 24th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL. So when you look at him from that standpoint, I think Yannick Ngakwe is going to is going to be a, a good fit there in Las Vegas. And then when you also look at it from the standpoint of, hey, if it doesn't work out after one year, they'll be able to release him and recoup a bunch of their money back, right? Or there won't be a huge dead hit at least. So um, I like the signing for the Raiders there. I think it's a good move. Washington football team signs Ryan Fitzpatrick. One year's 10 million could go up to 12. I think that's awesome because look, free agency, you're supposed to you know, fill your needs and improve, right? And he's a better quarterback than anyone they have on the roster. And if he's not, well, then we'll find out, right? But I think that you could really argue, and I would actually make this argument, that he is better than Alex Smith was last year. You know, Alex is a fine player, and but there were just certain limitations that Alex Smith had last year that um, Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have. I mean, Fitz is a much better quarterback, at least last year, than Tua was. He's definitely a better quarterback than Alex Smith was. And, I mean, he's just a, he's a good player. You know, he really is. So I, I like this a lot for Washington. I think that Ron Rivera is looking at this, and he knows that in their division especially, they are right there in the thick of it. With that defense, if they can just become a functional offensive team, they're going to be tough to beat. That's just the truth of it, right? All right, let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. They signed Trey Hendrickson to a four-year, $60 million deal. I'd be shocked if there wasn't an out after one or two years in this deal. For those of you wondering why they let Carl Lawson, who's the next guy I'm going to talk about, 
walk because Carl Lawson signed a three-year, $45 million deal with the Jets, right? And that's with, quote-unquote, $30 million guaranteed. So now, if if that's true, right, if it's $30 million actually guaranteed, then you're essentially saying that is a two years fully guaranteed kind of contract, right? And then you're probably going to have to take a little bit of dead money in year three. Whereas if Trey Hendrickson doesn't work out, Cincinnati can just dump him after one, I believe it's after one year. I heard something about the structure of it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was something like to make me think it's a one-year deal essentially with the team option on, the, on years two, three, and four. So that's a part of the deal. And the other one, guys, is because I know that we've become you know this uh, culture that's obsessed with pressures. But Trey Hendrickson got home. I mean, he, he just did, right? Like it, it's not... You know, now I think that pressures matter and they can oftentimes be more indicative of a guy that is just having an outlier season. And in Trey Hendrickson's case, that may have been the case last year in New Orleans when obviously there's a bunch of talented guys around him. But in Carl Lawson's case, you know, I think if I had to pick one of those guys that have on my team, it'd probably be Lawson. But I'm not mad at what they're doing. I understand it. You know, that this way, it gives them the flexibility of just getting the guy off their roster in a year or two. If Carl Lawson had signed the same deal he signs in Cincinnati and put up another four or five sacks for you, you're not going to feel all that excited, even if he's getting pressure, right? You've got to be able to finish at, at times. And, and I know Lawson has that kind of ability. He's definitely got some explosiveness to him. Um, and, I, and I like the fit a lot with the Jets because if you look at that, They've got Quinn and Williams right there, right, to push the pocket up, the, you know, right in the quarterback's face. And if in the case of Carl Lawson, that's perfect for him because all he has to do is bend the edge. And, and a lot of times that quarterback will be there because Quinn and Williams is not letting them step up into the pocket. So I like it. I think it could work out really nicely for the Jets. Also a signing by the Jets is Corey Davis, three years, $37.5 million. That's a $12.5 million average annual value. An absolute steal, in my opinion. It's probably... There's probably an out in it after one, maybe two years. But even if there's not, I just think that's a phenomenal deal, right? And, and Corey Davis is that kind of guy that's a that's a true number one receiver, like an old school, you know, just that outside receiver with with in you know a bunch of explosiveness and the kind of he's a guy that can that can hurt you in a variety of ways. And I think that he's almost like a a safety blanket for whichever young quarterback they have, whether it be you know a a quarterback they draft, or Sam Darnold, who knows? So that, to me, is a very good signing, very good value. The Titans signed Bud Dupree to a five-year, $85 million deal with quote-unquote $35 million guaranteed. So when I look at this one, right, it's, again, that's the same average annual value as Trey Flowers from two years ago. So it's not something that I hate, right? But Bud Dupree coming off the injury it would surprise me if that was a real 35 million guarantee. Like I would bet it's something like 20 million guaranteed, 18 to 20 million in the real guarantee. And I would, I would also bet that there's an out maybe even after year one, because if Bud comes out and, he, and he's, you know, not the same guy, I think there's going to be a clause in there that says, Hey, you can cut him right away. And, only have a little tiny dead money sting or whatever. So uh, that's just my my suspicion. But in any case, if he's the Bud Dupree that he you know that he was before the injury, then I think the ten Tennessee Titans will be very happy with their investment. They also signed Danico Autry, which is this is the guy I really like to watch play. Man, he is explosive as hell. He's kind of an, an oddly built dude. Like he's like shorter, really stout, but he's very explosive. And 
Three years, $21.5 million with $9 million guaranteed. $14.5 million is paid over the first two years, which means that's a quote-unquote effective guarantee, which is which is essentially a rolling guarantee, right? As long as they don't cut him after year one, he's going to see 14.5 over the first two years of the deal. So as long as he doesn't stink in year one, then they'll, it's likely that he'll still be on the roster. And the Colts apparently tried to match this deal, but they just didn't have the same kind of guarantees in their contract in terms of what they were willing to give him uh, from that standpoint. So he chose the Titans, which is ironically right in their division. So, Unfortunately for the Colts fans there, because the only player the Colts have added so far this free agency is Carson Wentz. Um, again, if you're a Colts fan, look at what you're about to do. You're probably going to re-sign Quentin Nelson. You're probably going to re-sign Darius Leonard, you know, and, and who knows what else. But there's a bunch of guys that you need to get done on your own team. I think that's kind of what you'll look to do. And I also think that, wisely enough, as usual, your your um, GM, Ballard, is going gonna, is gonna to look to um, – Grab some guys, low risk, high upside kind of guys. Keep those compensatory picks intact if you have any coming and that kind of thing. So I think that's the way they prefer to build there, and I have no problem with that. The uh, the Houston Texans have – let me just read off the players they've acquired so far this offseason. Mark Ingram on a very cheap deal. Andre Roberts, Marcus Cannon, Justin McCray is an offensive guard. He got him for two years, $4 million. Justin Britt, the veteran offensive lineman. Shaq Lawson, Malik Collins, uh, Kamu Gruger-Hill, the, the quote-unquote, as Ian Rappaport, one of those guys said that one of the best coverage linebackers in football. It's like, what are you – like, just stick to the facts. Like, you, you don't, We don't need you to analyze the game. No disrespect. But uh, Christian Kirksey, another linebacker. Terrence Brooks, a safety. And they re-signed Vernon Hargraves. And to me – those are mostly low risk, moderate to upside guys, you know, like maybe high floor, you know, moderate upside, like I was saying. So I have no problem with that from the Texan standpoint. They didn't have a ton of money to work with. And, and this, in my opinion, is um, not a bad way to, to make your way through this offseason. Just, you know, find yourself several quality players that, that are cheap. And I have no problem, again, with it. For Texans fans, you're not all that excited. But to be honest with you, Getting J.J. Watt off my roster and his $16 million cap hit, I think it was roughly 16 off my roster, and and replacing that with Shaq Lawson for $8 million, that's a win, guys. It's a win. You're, you're in the mode now, if you're a Texans fan, where you, whether you like it or not, you're, you're sort of rebuilding now, on the fly, but rebuilding. Shaq Lawson, there's a chance, is a better player in 2021 than J.J. Watt, and even if he's not a better player, he is a younger player. He's a guy that you could be, you know real serious about your future with right so if he becomes a good player in your system it makes a ton of sense for you to, to go that route and kind of look to the future more so than just trying to sell out to win it all in 2021 so i think we can all agree that's likely not going to happen all right the jacksonville jaguars have also gone the low risk um moderate to high upside and uh, high floor guys Carlos Hyde, high floor, two years, six million. Totally fine with that contract right there. I like Carlos Hyde a lot. Jamal Agnew, this was the weird one, right? Three years, 21 million. Now, if they see something that they think, sorry for the noise, guys. If they see something in his game that they think, hey, we're going to create a star in Jamal Agnew, then this could be one of the most, this could be the Shaq Barrett type of deal of this offseason, right? Three years, 21 million, so seven million average. I guarantee you there's an out after one year if it doesn't work out. And I guarantee you that um, 
they have a specific plan that they want to use them at. So we'll see what 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 that ends up being. Philip Dorsett, you know that that's a uh, you know again you, you know what you're getting with Dorsett, but maybe Urban Meyer has a specific role because he is built kind of like the Paris Campbell and in that kind of skill set. So maybe he's got a role that. That, that he has in mind that he thinks Philip Dorsett can succeed in. So we'll see. Roy Robertson Harris, someone that I've been really intrigued with in terms of a low risk, high upside guy. And yeah, he got over eight million a season in terms of his average annual value, but it's um, where is it? Fourteen million guaranteed. It's essentially a one year deal, in my opinion, that that he can play his way on to continuing into year two and three. Rudy Ford, two years, four point two million for a special teamer. Nothing wrong with that. And um, the, the value there is perfectly fine for a veteran special teams kind of guy that could spot start if you need him to. And uh, so, yeah, I like that for Jacksonville. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And oh, I think they just signed someone else. Too. Let me check. I wrote it down here. Okay, yeah, they re-signed Tyson Alubalu to a two-year deal, and they also signed Panthers former Panther tight end Chris Manhurts to a two-year $7.25 million deal. He's a very good blocking tight end, guys. If you're not familiar with him, I am being a Panther fan. And they also, that's right, signed Shaquille Barrett. I'm sorry, Shaquille Griffin, not Shaquille Barrett to a three-year, $40 million deal with a chance at $45 million and $29 million guaranteed. So not a bad free agency so far for Jacksonville. I know some fans are not happy with it, but um, in my opinion, they made their one splash signing in Griffin, right? And then everybody else is pretty much a guys that they know can come in and start for them and or guys that have high upside, right? So either high floor, either special teamer, or someone they feel has a bunch of upside that's untapped in the floor of a decent starter, right? So I think it, there's nothing wrong with what the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing so far, in my opinion. Denver Broncos signed Ronald Darby to a three-year, $30 million deal. This is someone I nailed his value. I said he's going to make at least $10 million a year, and, and well, he hit that. And uh, $19.5 million, quote-unquote, fully guaranteed. Again, I don't know if that's Ian and you know Adam just saying the word fully before guaranteed or if that's specific language of the contract. But either way, I think that, again, if it doesn't work out after two years, he's gone and, and no harm, no foul, a little bit of dead money maybe. But other than that, I think that um, – that, you know, it's a good signing for Denver. He's a good, he's a good corner, especially when you have a pass rush, especially when you have a Vic Fangio coach team. I think he'll be just fine there. When you look at the Giants, they signed Devontae Booker to a two-year, six million dollar deal. So what does that tell you? Right away, look at what Mark Ingram got: two years, six million. And look, or wait, Mark Ingram, or I think Mark Ingram got a one-year three. But basically, you know, the same value, but. Booker is younger, so Gettleman wanted to get that extra year. Look, the truth about this situation is this signing has more to do with 2022, in my opinion, than it does 2021. What do I mean by that? I mean, well, Saquon Barkley is a guy that's been injured, right? He's also a guy that you hope plays the whole season, this coming season. If that doesn't pan out and he doesn't play many games this year, Devontae Booker is a kind of running back with a skill set to come in and play all three downs. He can catch, he can block, he can run like hell. He's a big, strong running back. He's a good football player. This to me is, hey, let's get him for that second year and let's make sure we have him under contract just in case we have to let Saquon walk, right? 
We don't want to go into it with having zero running backs on our roster, and we don't want to go into 2022 with Wayne Gallman as the only running back on our roster. They feel most likely more confident, as I would, that Devontae Booker is a three-down back in the event that they can't bring back Saquon Barkley. So that's the thought process, in my opinion, behind the second year of Devontae. And Dave Gutterman's notorious for that. Get that? Somebody with upside, and believe me, Devontae Booker has upside. There was a point in the season last year where he looked like the better running back, and I'm talking about three-quarters of the way through the season. He looked like a better running back than Josh Jacobs. He was averaging over six yards a carry, albeit in somewhat limited workload uh, in terms of like you know carries or whatever, but he was a very effective runner, and to me, this guy is the total package. I think he's a really underrated runner. So I like the signing for for the Giants. And if you're only if he's only a backup, then three million dollars a year is totally fine, right? I think if the worst case that they're thinking of is if it doesn't work out for if 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 he's only a backup, right, which is fine. I think that if nothing else, he'll take some of the workload off Saquon. So you don't have to put Saquon out there for 70 snaps a game when you've got Booker out there. You give Booker four or five touches a game, it just it just lightens the load a little bit on Saquon, and hopefully that will keep Saquon fresher so that maybe, just maybe, this New York Giants will be in the playoffs down the stretch or in a playoff run potentially, and Saquon is more fresh at that time of year rather than getting all dinged up and and not being you know fully himself come December or January even. Who knows? Moving on to the Minnesota Vikings. So they signed Dalvin Tomlinson to a two-year $22 million contract with $16 million fully guaranteed and probably all 22 honestly, effectively guaranteed, which means that pretty much he's going to get his money, right? Like you're not going to pay him and then, ha- and then be paying him half his salary in 2022 just to release him. Like I don't see any real way for that to happen. I think the reason why it's a two-year deal is I think that was more likely Dalvin Tomlinson's decision because he probably thinks, hey – let me go prove that I'm the man and uh, potentially cash in $20 million plus in two years from now where, you know, maybe you guys will have some cap room in terms of like the league, right? We'll have cap room to pay me. And I think that the, t- I bet you, I would bet Dalvin Tomlinson won the one year deal. And then I would bet that Minnesota was like, Hey, give us two and we'll make it basically fully guaranteed and if you crush it in 2021, we'll go ahead and get the extension done, most likely get the extension done this coming offseason, right? So you could be right back at the bargaining table if you're Dalvin Tomlinson, assuming that the market's back up in terms of like the cap space teams have to use. And, um, you know, assuming that you played well enough to earn that kind of a you know big time contract. So I think Dalvin Tomlinson for $11 million a year is an absolute steal. And I think the Minnesota Vikings did fine to replace uh, or I mean to um, to get better in terms of their defensive tackle position. But also Shamar Stefan was just released and that saved almost four million dollars. So if you look at it, you're paying Dalvin just in terms of average annual value of the contract, 11 million a year. Well, all you did was release your other defensive tackle and you save 4 million so now you're only paying 7 so it's not a bad trade off you know for 7 million dollars additionally because you're getting a much better football player and someone that probably you could argue still has untapped potential you know someone that that will really definitely make you a better football team better defense right off the bat 
The 49ers signed um, Samson Ebucam, which I, I really like, to a two-year $12 million deal, right? Maximum of 13.5. So there's some incentives in there. I like this one for the Niners because I think Ebucam is a guy that, if nothing else, is going to be a nice situational rusher in your defense, right? But if he if it comes to be where you know he hits, he could honestly be this year's Shaq Barrett. He has the explosiveness, the athleticism to really develop into a really good player. Um, and I know you, you might say, well, develop, wouldn't that have happened already? It doesn't always happen like that for some guys, right? It doesn't always happen that easy. So maybe, you know, switching schemes and and, and uh, teams will be the difference for him. But in any case, if he's just a situational pass rusher, they get you four or five sacks, paying him six million or whatever it is, six, seven million a year is a totally fine value for that. So the Bengals signed Chidobi Awuzie. So as we, and as we just saw earlier in the podcast, I talked about them signing Mike Hilton, the corner, uh, the nickel corner from Pittsburgh. So now you've got some some size there, and who knows? Maybe they'll still get William Jackson back. I haven't heard him going anywhere yet, and I'm actually surprised because I thought William Jackson was going to get a whole lot more money than what people were expecting, and. Because he hasn't been signed yet, and we've seen Sha- uh, Shaquille Barrett be, or Shaquille Griffin be um, signed already, makes me think maybe um, he's asking. He thought he was going to get a little bit more money than people thought too, and it turns out that maybe the market's not quite there for him, or who knows? Maybe the market is there for him, but we'll see. The Packers tendered um, Shannon Sullivan, someone from I liked a lot pre-draft, and I was shocked. I think he was an undrafted free agent, but for a kid from Michigan, he's a good player, and he's been good for Green Bay when he's gotten on the football field. The Cowboys signed C.J. Goodwin to a two-year, $3.5 million deal. And I know Cowboy fans are sitting there like, hey, man, we haven't done anything. And it's like, yeah, because you just paid Dak Prescott $140 million. You know, like you can't have it all, guys, right? You, you've got a lot of your big guys re-signed. You've, I mean, Jerry's moving money around, shelling out the most signing bonus money in the history of football. He's trying his best, right? And, and also, I want to go over real quick. It's very important to understand that, the value, the real value of free agency is what happens in the next week or two. You know, the first week is always crazy and fun and we're all excited, but there are going to be announcements going on for the next months, really, next couple of months. And those announcements are going to be, to me, just as exciting, just as intriguing because that's where the real value is. Like when Shaq Barrett, that from when he was playing for the Denver Broncos and he was a free agent and the, and the Buccaneers signed him for $3 million, I always use that example because it's the most recent one, right, of, of that guy that was just like, oh, yeah, we'll bring him in and see what happens. Like that could be this year's Samson Ebicam. That could be, you know, uh, I mean, one uh, Roy Robertson Harris. Like that could be one of those guys, you know, somebody that's like, oh, you know, oh, cool, yeah, we got him, whatever. Like, but it's you don't know yet, you know. Just so keep an eye on that. Like, where is Solomon Thomas going to go? Where is Tano Capasnial going to go? Those are guys with traits and and you know uh, pedigree in terms of Tom Solomon Thomas's second overall pick in the NFL draft a couple years ago. You know, if he goes to the right place, I hope it's not New York Jets simply because I think that he needs a change of scenery in ter- you know to potentially unlock the guy that was the second overall pick in the draft, the guy that you know, we thought was going to be the next dominant force at, at defensive end in the NFL. I mean, look, you got a guy like Malik Hooker that I believe is still a free agent as well. So seeing, you know, where someone like he goes will be very interesting as well, you know, and and um, and something also I wanted to just touch on on the podcast that I could give you more of an explanation behind this. Um, when we when we like 
you know, the Saints are interested in Richard Sherman right now, right? I saw someone commented on the on the tweet and they were like, with what cap space? Like, guys, if you look at it, right, you can sign a guy to a let's say Richard Sherman commands an eight million dollar average annual value, right? And let's say it's a three-year, $24 million deal. Well, they can sign him, give him a signing bonus, and then let's say it's, yeah, three-year deal, you give him a signing bonus, and you can make him count like $1 million or $2 million against this year's cap, right? So it's, and who knows, maybe they have a shitload of cap space in 2022, 2023. Then all you're doing is manipulating the salaries to, you know, to to where you actually have the salary cap space. So I just wanted to, kind of clarify that because a lot of times we think like, you know, and also it works in reverse too. We think of that with teams with when they have a shitload of salary cap space and we're like, why aren't we signing anyone? We have this much space. Like you don't have to use all that space because what they're looking at is if your team has a bunch of salary cap room and you haven't done a bunch of free agency so far, or you don't end up doing much in free agency, go ahead and look at your roster and look up the players that are potential free agents after 2021 right? You're going to likely find a bunch of guys or at least two or three guys that will likely get big contracts that are, that are free agents. Like somebody was talking about the Steelers having over hundred million in cap space this morning on Twitter. And then someone else, uh, my guy, the three L's, he said, um, he mentioned a bunch of different players that they have that are, that are on expiring contracts next year. So you have to think about it. Like it's not always to go sign guys from other teams. A lot of times it's like, Hey, Let's get our guys resigned, you know. And and um, the last thing I want to talk about before in this podcast is the fact that this free agency period has been so unpredictable, right? You've you've got guys like Kenny Galladay still out there, Curtis Samuel, you know. You've got all these guys, and I know we get all crazy about like I saw Field Yates on Twitter say, "Imagine that, you know, he was comparing somebody from the." Oh, Dante Fowler got a $42 million contract and had this many sacks. And and now Leonard Floyd got paid by the Rams and, and he gets $64 million. Like, first of all, you're comparing different amounts of years per, per each contract, right? So if I sign a three-year $30 million deal and you sign a four-year $40 million deal, that means the team saw us the same, right? And that was essentially what it was there for Dante Fowler. I think Fowler might have even got more money in terms of average annual salary from his new team. But point is... Like we can't um, get too wrapped up in the in the raw dollar amounts of it, right? We have to think about it practically, and then we have to. This free agency has been so weird because you see guys like Leonard Floyd getting sixteen million a year. There is no way I would have thought he would have accepted sixteen million a year on an open market before this free agency. So what you're seeing from teams is they're saying, "Hey, let's." let this guy go test the market. We know no one has any cap space. So it's likely that once he goes and tests it, that he'll come back and accept the deal from us. Look at the Tyus Bowers, uh, Bowser situation in Baltimore. Look at the, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's multiple situations of that nature, right? So for the guys that, um, you know, that's happening to, I think it's it's really something interesting because I could totally see that, the Rams may have been offering him 18, 19 million before, you know, so they might've been like, whoa, now we'll offer you 16. We see what all these other guys are getting paid. And that's what he accepted was this four year, $64 million deal, which is 16 million average annual salary. And that's again, making him like the 20th highest paid 
edge rusher, right? So it's when you do these things, this is really changing the whole dynamic of free agency because when a guy hits the open market, if he's coming off a big statistical season, we typically have seen teams pay a bunch more money. Like we've seen, you know, a guy that we can all agree is the 10th best player at his position get the third or fourth most money in the history of his position, right? Now we're seeing the complete reverse. We're seeing Matt Judon, a much better player, objectively much better player than Trey Flowers, two years later than Trey Flowers, get $4 million less per season, right? Trey Flowers signed for $18 million average annual value. So when you look at Leonard Floyd and you say, how did he get that much money? You're not looking at it right. Leonard Floyd got $16 million per year. Two years ago, Trey Flowers, a guy that's never had double-digit sacks, got $18 million a year. I think it was like a five-year, $90 million deal. You know, so when we look at it like that, we, ha- we can't just say, well, yeah, that's because of COVID. Like, for all these guys that are not currently on a team or, you know, that are current free agents, I, I would bet you a lot of them are not happy with what's available right now in terms of multi-year deals. And they're trying like hell to get a one-year deal because they need to get back at that negotiating table again next season. You know, it's to the point now where if you're franchise tagged, if you're Allen Robinson, maybe you should be happy that you're franchise tagged because it's not a bad, it's not a very good season to go into the open market and test your value. It's just not, you know, and I think, Who understands that better than Bill Belichick? He is building his entire team in free agency. You know, he just signed the top two tight ends and he's getting these guys at a value. He didn't make them the highest paid tight ends in the history of the NFL. That's what you would normally do in in a position in a draft or a free agency period like this where you sign the top two guys at a position group. They'd be paid the highest value of their position ever, right? That's what you'd normally see. That's not happening this year. And that that's clearly a trend that's going on. Another another trend that I spot is the three-year deals, a lot of threes and um, twos and things like that, which is normally not the case. But again, that goes back to the team. That's the whole negotiation. That kind of takes you inside the negotiation. When you look at it, a guy like Shaquille Griffin, he wants a five-year deal with big-time security, right? The fact that he's willing to accept a three shows me that, you know, he, and it's also a three that's like under 14 a year. You know, it's it's really not, it's not a crazy deal, right? 12, uh, it's like 13 something, 13 and change per year. So um, you're not seeing the, the typical like make him the highest paid player at his position and then the next guy's now the highest paid player. You're not seeing that this year. You're seeing the teams are like, nope, we'll go, you know, we'll make you the 28th highest paid player. Like in what worlds, Matt Judon, a guy that was just franchise tagged last year, by Baltimore, accept less money on a long-term deal with the Patriots this year. And when he was asked about it, he said, I didn't look for the Patriots. They they looked for me. Or I didn't go to the Patriots. They got me. You know, like he, like he was – so that tells me that the offers out there were not very overwhelming, right? They were not super exciting. So guys that are on franchise tags – should be more than happy to be on that tag. This takes you into the, the insight of why the Detroit Lions decided not to franchise tag Kenny, Kenny Galladay, right? Because Kenny right now, at his age, he's a little bit older than, than guys when they first get that second contract. He doesn't want, you know, a three-year deal. That would be like his career's over essentially after that or, or in terms of like being paid like an elite guy. So Kenny Galladay's market is going to be very, very interesting. When you look at Curtis Samuel, he's very young, right? So for him... 
I think that teams are going to want that third year on there. And he's probably wanting two, you know, because he wants to be able to get back to the drawing board, back to the negotiating table when he's 26 or whatever. And they're trying to push it up a year or two. And he understands that that hurts his next negotiation. So this could really be the difference, especially for a guy like Galladay, who's older. You know, it's it could be very interesting to see what happens there. And if it's going to be a one-year deal, Kenny Galladay, you're going to likely have to take much less than you want. So you might have wanted five years, 100 million or four years, 80 million. And now if it's a one year deal, if you're even willing to accept that, but I don't think Kenny's going to be able to to be willing to accept any longer than that. If it's a short term deal, meaning if it's a three years or less, he's going to want less, like he's going to want one. And if it's only a one year deal, well, I mean, he may get 15 million or something, right? Like we're we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of it's it's just very unpredictable. Normally, I can predict these contracts and I get them very close, but this year it's being it's very difficult to predict because you couldn't. There was no way possible to actually know what the true ramifications of the COVID money part of it was going to be, right? In terms of the salary cap and all that stuff. But to me, this goes beyond that. It's the fact that so many teams didn't have any salary cap space really, and I should have seen this coming, destroyed the market. Really did. Like it 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 made the market to the point where Belichick is so smart. He knew he was going to have cap space and he knew nobody else was going to have cap space. And he was just he's just buying up all the real estate, you know, at a discounted value, right? He really is. I mean Matt Judon for 14 million this time last year if Matt Judon was offered $14 million a year, he laughed in the Baltimore Ravens' faces. Laughed in their faces, right? They, I would bet the Ravens offered him $17 million last year. I would bet you they did. And, um, you know, maybe even $18, 19000000 million. But I guarantee you at least seventeen. And, um, you know, in the case of Shaq Barrett, he contributed to this as well because he was willing to take less. I think he took $16 million a year, $17 million a year. But he was willing to take less because he's in Florida where there's no state income tax and he didn't have to move teams and all that stuff. So that's kind of the rationale behind him doing that and also another chance to win another Super Bowl. And they know that it's a real chance because they just won one. So, you know, that's kind of uh, the rationale from Shaq Barrett's standpoint. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that also has kind of trickled over to these other guys. And it's like, hey, Shaq Barrett took this. You know, you're not as good as he is. And I mean, I thought Shaq Barrett was going to sign a four-year, $80 million or five-year, $100 million deal. I really did. Like, I, I, I'm very surprised by what's going on. But now I'm going to really look at it. And the fact that nobody has any cap room, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And teams are looking at next season like, hey, we're not, so, we're not like 100% certain we're going to have full stadiums and be back to normal next year. So what if this happens again? Teams are a little bit hesitant to really start shelling out that money. You know, just assuming, let's just assume 2022's cap is going to be, you know, uh, you know, this much more. Teams are like, well, I don't think we should assume that, right? And so, yeah, so I think there's a lot of different interesting dynamics to that kind of, to the cap and things like that. So that um, I want to talk about. But anyways, that's the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I will be back most likely tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough time to do it on another one today, but I will be back with at least two for you tomorrow. Talk to you later. Peace.